Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 187 for March 13th, 2009, Fixing Auto Run. Security Now is brought to you by IWantToBeANerd.com. The Nerds on Site team of IT professionals is looking for nerds with all competencies and skills. Go to www.IWantToBeANerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting today. And by GoToMeeting. Stop wasting time and money on meeting in person. Hold your meetings online. You can do more and travel less. For a free trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that talks about security now. And yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> and here he is, the star of the show from GRC.com, the Gibson Research Corporation, the creator of Spinrite, the discoverer of spyware, and man about town, a <laughs> devoted uh, Cabernet drinker, <laughs> Mr. Steve Gibson. Yes, we got a whole ton of really interesting security news and we're going to talk about Windows Auto Run and Autoplay this week. Remember, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was it was it, part of the, the this came up because of the February updates that Windows did, where they fixed the fact that it was broken. Right. And it turns out that they still haven't got it right. <laughs> uh, apparently, the technology is working, but they forgot to mention something really critical in every. Um, page that I have found on their site that talks about how to configure it properly. Um, they still don't explain that correctly. So today we're going to. Why? And it's important now, now, because I know. The guys, okay, I was just going to ask because we're spending a whole show on Auto Run. Yep. Why? Well, um, it's probably one of the first things that a security aware person does when they want to bolt down a computer. And what's interesting is the actual backstory behind my, why Microsoft fixed it. It because uh, uh, there was a patch for it which was only available in Vista and and Server 2008. You had to manually install it. There was an update, but you had to go manually get it from Microsoft site. So nobody did. Well, believe it or not. The Downadup Conficker worm. Oh, no. Yes. Started exploiting auto run in order to spread itself. And so even users who had turned it all off were still getting infected, even though they due to this bug that Microsoft knew about, but they didn't figure was important enough to, to push out. Oh, and one of the boy. reasons is they were literally afraid that if they updated everybody and fixed the fact that it was broken, that people would be more upset that things that used to work no longer did, even though it's what they said they wanted. So go figure. Anyway, we're, so we got a great, a great show today. It sounds very, very interesting. You know, sometimes we get very granular on this show. And I think uh, this is one of those granular. Well, ones. yes, we're going to be down in bits because in order to... <laughs> specify the configuration you need to understand the 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 way hex bits are merged together to create a composite value microsoft did not make this easy so 
Uh, anyway, we, it's, we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. You said a mouthful. Microsoft did not make this easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it in a second. We'll also get updates uh, on the security news. There is some. and Tons uh, of that. Tons of it. Tons, baby. But first, I want to remind you about the friendly folks at Nerds On Site. We love Nerds On Site. I want to be a nerd.com. That's the URL you need to remember. Nerds On Site is a team of professionals. IT professionals who will work with you to help you make your business sing better than I sing too, by the way, sing. So here's the deal. Uh, They're looking for nerds with competencies and skills in all the areas you can think of. I mean, PC, Mac, Oracle, Cisco, uh, fix-it technicians, website designers, programmers, project managers, even sales and trainers and security experts and antivirus gurus. They really are looking for, and it really is the, the one growing market still, the small and medium enterprise, folks who you know, work in those uh, you know, areas. Nerds, you remain independent contractors. You're not, you're, not, you're not starting to work for nerds on site. The idea is they help you with your business so you can focus on the stuff you love and not worry about the burdens of running the business. It really is a great idea. It's why nerds all over the world are banding together with nerds on site. They started in Canada. Now they're in the U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, even Bolivia and India. And by the way, this is another good value. You can t- tune up your, your your competencies with nerds on site. So, you know, you know a lot about, uh, say, security, but you'd like to know more about, you know, IT services, or maybe you want to know more about setting up VPNs. They've got 250 competencies in their University of Nerdology, including a Staro Security Gateway certification. That's a very handy thing to have. If you're a nerd, you love working with people, and you want to build your business and stay in business by yourself, for yourself, I want to be a nerd.com is the place to go. They have nerds-only meetings uh, all the time. Some, I think they use GoToMeeting for that. Nerds on site. Go to IWantToBeANerd.com. They already had that one. I think they also could have like, I already am a nerd. I am a biggest nerd you ever met. I want to make money being a nerd. <laughs> I want to make money. Make, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> but, but, but just to keep it simple, we'll just use the one. IWantToBeANerd.com. Thank you, Nerds on Site, for your support uh, for security now. So uh, I came in today, and you know we have the new Skyposaurus. Have you seen the Skyposaurus behind me, Steve? This no. thing is, we built, Colleen built Oh, is that this. those four screens yeah. that I saw? Yeah, Colleen ah. built this. It's four, because we were trying to figure out, how can I do Twit and MacBreak Weekly and Gilmore Gang, the shows that have multiple panelists, how can I get video from them all? And I racked my brain. The only thing we could come up with is, well, we need four computers running yep. four instances of Skype. And we place four separate calls. And then we route them all through the TriCaster. And that's what we did. It's Colleen, Very there are cool. four mini ITX cases. With four 17-inch screens on one giant multi-screen mount. It's now, this is not the reason that on the gray-haired computing that we did, it's not the reason that Ray's audio was a little well, crusty? Well, it is, in a way, ah. because that was the first, that was the trial Skyposaurus, and we almost, right. I almost abandoned the whole project because of that. But Colleen, we updated drivers, we messed with it, we got the sound actually sounding just, oh, as, just as good as you sound. And, uh, and so that's much better now. So, for instance, if we do another gray-haired uh, computing segment, you'll both be side-by-side on, on Skyposaurus and like that. <laughs> but I came in today, and Skyposaurus had rebooted all four Windows instances. That's how I know there's been a patch. 
Ah, yes, we are on the we we are on this side or the other side, some side of Patch of, Tuesday. Of, of Patch Tuesday, <laughs> yeah. the second Tuesday of March. Yep. Um, and there was uh, the, as usual a bunch of stuff. Um, I wanted to start though by asking our listeners to do us a favor. Oh, good. I love that. Yes. There is some voting we need. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Are you running for beauty queen again? No, no. This is the best security podcast. Oh. It turns out that there's going to be an announcement at the at April's, uh, that is this year's RSA conference. That's the big Remember, one. That's the big one. Remember, that's where I ran into uh, Stina from, right. Right. Um, from Yubico and discovered the YubiKey at the top of the escalators when she was sort of looking around forlornly, wondering how she could come to the world's attention. Um, that problem got Is solved. Is it San Francisco again this year? Uh, yes. Um, I think it's Moscone Center. I'm not going to go up this year. It's like, eh, I did it. I saw what was there. I'll it's accept like, on your behalf. Oh, that'd be good. Um, anyway, so the URL is is uh, strangely named Social Security Awards. Dot com. It's got okay. nothing to do with social security except it's podcasting and blogging, which are social events, ah. social venues. Yes. So that's why they called it social com. All one word. The annoying thing for our security conscious listeners is you must enable scripting. In order to do this, well, that's not very socially aware of yeah, security. I know uh, they use they use some. They probably have to use, they use cookies to keep you from voting more than once. Probably uh, they do that. Yes, and yeah. so you know, immediately I, I said, you know, oh well, I've listened to other security podcasts, and I really do like mine best. So, uh, <laughs> I, hey, I wanted to be fair. <laughs> that's fair. So I right. went to Social Security Awards, and I, all you get is this big black type on the screen you javascript must be enabled in order to proceed it's like okay fine so i enabled it for social security awards.com and it still wasn't happy with me because there was some something monkey or other uh pot you know tra- uh vote monkey or something that i also had to enable see i didn't have to it, do any of that because i'm not running any of that stuff because eh, you have no security that's I have fine no security yeah. uh, but that i mean if that helps you to vote for security now <laughs> I'm all for that. Now, it's so going to ask for the name, podcast name. That's Security Now. Security Now. The URL uh, is twit.tv slash SN. That's exactly. Hey, I filled it out correctly, yeah. Leo. Yeah, that's, that's what I put. That's, the, that's kind of the homepage for it. Twit.tv and then slash SN, and that's where all the shows live. And that's probably the best place for them to go to find it. Yes. So twit.tv slash SN for the URL. And then, of course, the reason there, 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 there's no prompting, it's not multiple choice. You, you know, our listeners are going to have to fill that in. You only have, there. There's five opportunities, five things, because there's four different blogs and one podcast. The podcast is the top one uh, on that form. And all I did, since I am not reading other people's blogs. Um, oh, I read I Brian Krebs. I want to vote for Brian Krebs. On I, I would, too. As a matter of fact, I, I refer to him in today's podcast because he had a great column about the Tigger Trojan that we'll be talking about. Yeah, so I'm. I mean, I'm not going to tell what people Good. had to vote on this, but I'm going to say blog name is a Security Fix, fix, and the URL is blog.washingtonpost.com/slash/securityfix. And Brian really floats my boat. I don't know. <laughs> they want a reason. 
Now, I don't read a corporate security blog. You know, that no, really... Actually, sh- I- Brian should be the best non-technical security There's some blog. sort of a limit to the reason length, because I basically typed in a small book about why security now was the best yeah, thing, and then when I tried to submit my vote, it said... <laughs> they don't care. That's invalid. <laughs> actually, so I shortened it, and it still didn't like it, so finally I just said, you know... Steve needs more hair, and then you know it liked that one. I'm going to put Brian's in the non-technical because he's really a good non-technical security blog. I don't know who I would say technical. I'm not sophisticated enough to read a technical security blog, but there's well, uh, I certainly read a lot of the stuff, uh, the, the security websites. I'll find a good one. Corporate don't anyway. So to our listeners, socialsecurityawards.com. Uh, I would. I won't say to vote for security now. I would just say vote for your favorite security podcast. But I'll be glad to accept when we win. And I, then Leo <laughs> would happily accept when you when when we win. That would be great. <laughs> and, and you know what, and Steve? Then, maybe then, we can get you up here if you win. And I after think you've you should lowered all your security down so that you're completely vulnerable during the voting process, you can <laughs> bring it back up right where it was before and turn off the monkey vote or whatever the hell that thing was that. <laughs> they so, have okay. to come on they, now. Well, maybe you you're good at doing stuff without scripts, but it seems to me it's you know if they want to kind of make sure only one vote per person that kind of thing a, a script is the best way to do that. Don't you have to use JavaScript to use cookies? No, no. You, JavaScript no. Was, was is a horrible idea that came along way after cookies oh, came okay. along. Okay, no, no. Cookies are are part of the fundamental HTTP protocol and uh, or. HTTP or HTML? HTTP. HTTP it's, a, yeah. it's the transport. So layer. in the get, in the get, and so forth, you can you can you can set and, and get cookies. Yeah, my guess is that they're doing things like probably using Flash cookies in order to be extra sneaky, right. in order to hook a little bit deeper in, so you just can't delete your cookies and vote again. I mean, I do, I only voted once. It's funny too because then I wanted to go back to in order to be able to cite what the other blogs were and it wouldn't even let me oh. to to the page it said thank you very much for your previous you vote voted um, you voted away now. stop it done and that's like i mean it probably logs your ip i mean who knows what it does i don't care i only voted once but if all of our listeners would do that i think we'd have a good chance so i think we uh, we i will get up off my knees now and stop begging <laughs> okay <laughs> what else is in the news well, we do. As you said earlier, we have our monthly Windows update drama. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad news is there is still no fix for the very bad Excel flaw that we spoke of last week, which is being actively exploited in the wild. Microsoft has did not fix that this time. Um, the The general murmur out in the security community is that this is so bad that it as soon as Microsoft can, even out of cycle, that is, they should not, given that we now know we're not going to have it for early March, they sh- really don't want to wait another four weeks until um, the, fir- the second Tuesday in April. Because this thing is, I mean, it's a problem we know about. It's becoming widespread in its, in its, in its exploitive uh, s- spread. And uh, and Microsoft knows about it. They've acknowledged it, but they haven't fixed it. So and, and essentially uh, all it takes is somebody who's got Office installed to to open mail and get tricked into clicking a link. The the act of, of displaying a, ma- a deliberately maliciously formed Excel page um, can take over your machine, cause code to be um, executed remotely. The proof of concept technology is out and floating around the net so you know it's as bad as anything can be 
and we didn't get a fix this this cycle. What we did get was the standard monthly critical remote code execution fixes. Turns out our our old friend the Windows Metafile is back. There is a parsing bug in WMF and EMF, the enhanced metafile parsing, where during the handoff as as the as the um, GDI is getting involved and accepting parameters from the user mode down into the kernel. During that user mode to kernel handoff, there's a um, uh, a problem with the metafile processing parameter handling that allows a malicious metafile to do bad things to you. So uh, it's important. Uh, and I would say, I mean, they're all important. This one, as is, as is important as ever, that absolutely will require a restart of your machine. So um, you're going to want to do that. Um, there are st- we're, we're going to be talking a little bit later about some some serious trojans and worms, which are still today managing p- to proliferate based on a patch that was issued in October of last year, October of 08. So we're now at what T plus five months and, and people are still not patched. So, you know, I can't, it's inexplicable why that's the case to the degree that it has been, because in this case, we're talking about 11 and a half million instances of a really bad worm infecting people. Although it's becoming increasingly clever in the way it both survives and spreads, which we'll be talking about here in a minute. But I just want to say, you know, it's important. Uh, rebooting is a pain, but you want to do it every so often. Certainly, um, you know, balance the the risk of w- versus the reward. But a restart of your machine will be required. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago, uh, and then again last week about the flaw in Adobe Acrobat, and said that the most recent version of Acrobat would be patched on the 11th. Well. Uh, that's yesterday for the people who are listening to this on Thursday. Um, it has been patched. The patch exists, and um, that's only for version 9. I'm still using 8 myself, and I'm happy there. Um, so I went to their site, and sure enough, nine. the update for Acrobat 9 is available as of the time we're recording this on the 10th. Um, but there's no available patches for the prior versions. Remember that this is something which is also actively being exploited. This was a zero-day flaw. That is, it was found only after exploits were already taking advantage of it. Then they, then Adobe figured out what was going on, said, whoops, uh, we got a problem. We're going to get this thing fixed for version 9, the most recent version, on March 11th. And it'll be a week later for the prior version. So, you know, I'll be keeping an eye out for for when the the update for my version 8 is available and I will certainly um uh, apply it. Why don't you just uh, update to 9? I mean, what is there some no. reason that you No, I just haven't. I mean, I guess that's what they figure is that well, update to the latest version, that'll fix it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is there something you don't like about nine? I mean, is there something we should avoid it because of nine has too no? Much I just stuff? I just haven't gone there. Okay. I haven't, you know, I have no need to. Um, maybe right. maybe maybe you're right. This, you know, going there. I mean, who knows what the the story is? I don't even know if they'll charge me for an update from eight to nine. You know, Adobe tends oh, to be. Oh, I see. You're not using the reader. Using the full Adobe Acrobat. 
Correct. Ah, so you don't want to pay for the update. Correct. But if you're using Reader, you should just update the latest Reader. Yes, absolutely. Because that's, that's free. free. Yes. Although there are people who say, oh, you know, that's why I was asking, because there are people who say, oh, I don't, you know, they've, oh, because every time they update Reader, they add more stupid features. Oh, I know. And, I mean, and, and I did read something that was not confirmed on the net that non-Adobe PDF readers may also be subject to the I same saw that problem. Too. Foxit might have the same problem. Yes, Foxit may have, well have the. And, and, you know, <laughs> and that, I've been telling people enough. use Foxit instead, and now yep. I'm going, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Why would it have the same problem? Did they copy code from Adobe? I, you know, without looking at it in detail, I couldn't guess. Although, you know, it. Um, it oh, the other thing I wanted to mention that was important is. When we first talked about this, I said that one short-term workaround is to disable JavaScript for Reader. That unfortunately, I don't know, talk about adding things to it. Like, I just want to open a PDF. I don't need JavaScript in my PDF Reader, but they all have it. And it turns out that that was the way the original exploit was being leveraged oh into, um, in, into remote code execution. So at that time... Disabling JavaScript was was believed to be a weak yet sufficient for the current version of exploit solution. Well, there's a way around that. As we expected, disabing JavaScript doesn't. We we knew it didn't un, we didn't cure the underlying problem, but it only might solve the problem with, with this particular approach of of exploitation. It's now the case that non JavaScript exploits exist for this bug, and you know, given that that reader may not be actively updated, um, this is a, this is something that could bite people. So, um, so it is the case that disabling JavaScript no longer um, protects you. What a mess! Yeah, what big a mess. mess. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also Mozilla product update time. Um, there are multiple vulnerabilities in all of the Mozilla products: Firefox, well, Firefox, Thunderbird, and SeaMonkey. Um, Three on in the case of Firefox, three point zero point six and prior have the problem, and I'm using three point zero point seven now. So everyone should be who's using Firefox. Thunderbird, uh, two point zero point zero point one eight and prior are vulnerable, and SeaMonkey one point one point one six and prior, and Mozilla's site has updates beyond all of those. So it's possible to update yourself to uh, in every case. A, a secure version, and you're going to want to do that. Also, we haven't heard from Opera for a while, but Opera has got multiple vulnerabilities. So version 9.63 and prior are vulnerable. You want to be using Opera later than 9.63. And finally, one we've never talked about, but I thought there were some users of it still because it's popular, and that's Winamp. Yeah, uh, Winamp uses an open-source um, a sound file parser called libsoundfile or libsnd file, L-I-B-S-N-D-F-I-L-E. turns out that there is a, a sample processing problem that involves um, integer processing overflow in, in, lib, in this libsoundfile file, L-I-B-S-N-D-F-I-L-E, and it's necessary to um, update to Winamp after version 5.55. So if you if you are a Winamp user, I imagine among our listeners there are some people, just wanted to give you a clue that uh, version 5.55 and prior are using the vulnerable version of this lib sound file 
um, and you should update and updates are available from Winamp. It's always scary when a um, exploit affects data files because, you know, everybody um, who listens to this show anyway knows to avoid executables. Right. And uh, of course, you back up data files. Uh, so you don't think, oh, a JPEG, a PDF, an MP3, those those are harmless. Yeah, or an Excel spreadsheet. Or an Excel. That at least, because there's macros, you go, well, I know, uh, you know, that could, that's got some executable code, but, it, but uh, come on, an MP3, there's no executable code in there. How could that be harmful? Right. So these are, these are you know, I think these are really serious. People ask me all the time, if I back up my data, because I tell them, you know, back up, reformat, reinstall. So that you'll get rid of everything. If I back up my data, I'm safe. And I said, yeah, if you get the data only. But technically, that's not true, is it? Not so much anymore. Yeah. I mean, it is, It is. you know, as I do the research every week and I write all this down, I just, I think, that's my amazing. goodness. It's just, you know, it is never, I mean, literally never ending. You kind of have to admire the tenacity and, uh, frankly, intelligence of these hackers to find an exploit in Winamp or reader that they could that they could take advantage of with a data file. PDF even, because PDF is kind of a programming language. You know, PostScript is really a programming language. But come on, MP3? That's yeah. that's ingenious. Let's face yeah, it. Well, and it's it's, you know, some somewhere somebody was writing code to parse and process these samples in an, in an MP3 sound file. They weren't thinking about security. They were thinking <laughs> yeah. about getting the darn thing to work so that it, you know, so that sounds come out. And it turns out that if you, if you, as a consequence of that, if you, if you give it a deliberately specially crafted sound file, an MP3 file, it will, it will cause a hiccup in the the processing that, that allows you to then to like cause the rest of the sound buffer to be jumped into so, so you 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 have this special set of samples, which causes this integer overflow, which causes the execution Amazing. of the rest of the buffer. Amazing. So you literally are putting a program into the sound file with a header that caught that gets this vulnerable version of the library to execute the the following code. And as soon as you do that, it can bring in some more code, take over your machine go off to somewhere malicious and and install backdoors and trojans and worms and i mean it's it's just the reality of computing today and i mean so really the only thing we can do is is hope that vendors and developers continue to function in as responsible a fashion as possible and and do their best to keep us safe it's um but it just you know and, and you know the other thing too is that What's really changed from the from the beginning days where this was done as a curiosity is, unfortunately, as we're about to learn in a couple other points I'm going to bring up here, um, next stories, is that it's big business. I mean, now if this is big business. This is this is infecting and taking over people's machines for profit, not just to see if you can or because you can, but because you can get paid to do it. Somebody in our chat room sent me a link. To Fox's page, they do have an update today, but ironically, uh, they they say we have received a number of inquiries about the latest Adobe vulnerability, and people say is Foxit Reader subject to the same kind of vulnerability? It was caused by a buffer overflow in their JBig2 decoder. We use our own JBig2 decoder, and we 
we are not vulnerable in the same way. Right. So the uh, instead of crashing, you get an empty image display when you get that buffer overflow. So good news. But there is an update. They did update their JBIG2 reader. So clearly they, they, they took a closer look at it when they saw this Adobe vulnerability. And they found some stuff to clean up. Good. Yeah. Um, in other news, as of the beginning of this month, all of our government's top-level .gov domain servers are now running DNSSEC. <laughs> you mean they weren't? No, they had oh, never been before. No, it DNSSEC is a complex and you know annoying system to set up. There, there's a, there, it, there's a lot to it, uh, and our own gov um, top level domain had not been uh, using DNSSEC. It's now there. It's now all is in pl- in place right. as of February twenty eighth, yeah. the end of last month. So that's a good thing. I mean, it's it, it doesn't mean that does, doesn't help us for like the the, the the com and the net and the org and all the other top level domains. But at least the the gov top level domain servers um, can now offer signed and authenticated records. So anybody who wants to ask them for you know verifiably non spoofable signed records can can get them from our top level domain gov servers, and that's you know it's a step forward. It's uh it's not clear the DNSSEC is going to end up being widely deployed. Um, soon and or or maybe ever um i know ever is a long time but it's uh you know this thing is the 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 dns sec spec that we talked about at length in a podcast uh not too long ago has been around for a long time so it's been available it's there it exists in all the current versions of the dns servers it's just that no one takes the time to do it because it's like "Ah, well you know nobody else is so we're not going to bother. Well, now the government is. And so that's at least one small step forward. Did you mention that uh, it was one of the patches that Microsoft uh, issued yesterday was to fix a Kaminsky-type flaw in IIS? Or in their DNS server, rather? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, there still was a Kaminsky flaw in there. I'm going to call it a Kaminsky flaw. <laughs> so a, a, a spoofability problem. Yeah, man-in-the-middle issue. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so they, um, still, they still were working on that, I guess. And uh, speaking of Brian Krebs, uh, he had a nice little write-up. I ran across a reference to this, uh, a new, an interesting Trojan. A, it's called the Tigger Trojan. Um, uh, and so um, in, in his write-up, he explains that what's interesting about it is it is the most tightly targeted Trojan uh, we've really seen. More than a quarter million Windows machines have been infected. And this this thing specifically targets employees and clients of E-Trade, ING Direct, Vanguard, Options Express, TD Ameritrade, and Scott Trade. Wow. In, in, in other wow. words, Everybody. The, the stock market guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, the people who are doing uh, stock market stuff. It uses, it, it's interesting, it uses a privilege escalation exploit, which was patched in October. So once again, five months ago, this thing was patched, but it's still infecting these people. Um, you know, maybe their corporate policy is, well, we'll get around to it when we can. It's hard to hard to account for the fact that here we got people doing, you know, financial services um, for, you know, both employees and clients, apparently that have, you know, these accounts and this software on their machines, which this thing uh, uh, is working to target. But even running under a limited, um, a, li- a limited 
uh, user account, which normally protects you from these kinds of exploits, won't protect you mm. because it takes advantage of this um, this um, uh, privilege ex- uh, uh, elevation uh, fault, which in, if it's not been patched since October, um, allows it to install this Trojan on your machine. And then apparently has code in it. They, they've analyzed it where it is deliberately doing malicious things if it happens to land in a machine owned by uh, an employee or a client of any of those uh, stockbrokers. Wow. Bad news. I guess they didn't have enough money. They probably couldn't fix it. Ah, They're busy doing other things. Well, and the worm that just keeps on giving. <laughs> Let me guess. Coop face, conficker, uh, down and uh, up? It, yep, it it is the it's the multi-named worm, <laughs> down and up, conficker and also kidu, kidu. It, known by all three names. It was discovered, okay, in November of 08 right. by by a a a honeypot. It was found in a honeypot that Symantec was managing and monitoring. Since then, this worm has managed to infect at least 11.4 million PCs. Wow. 11.4 million machines. Now, this is according to a census, not from a, an AV company where it's like, yeah, okay, they want, they want to you know, inflate that. But this was a, a census carried out on uh, compromised Internet addresses by SRI International. So, a, you know, a neutral party said... 11.4 million machines infected. Now, get a load of this. Um, we're, we're now at major version C of this. What happened was the uh, the original, w- one of the reasons this thing has been hard to contain is that they use a, an algorithm in the worm to, to determine what domain name to go to based on any given day. And so, so, you know, typically the way a, and and by the way, this installs a botnet. So you've got a big botnet of a whole large number of machines infected. Well, they need to go somewhere to get themselves updated and to receive in, in, um, you know, instructions and, and various specifications for how to function. So the first thing somebody does who wants to shut them down is they get a hold of one of these they look at the domain names that are built into it and then they go to the registrars and like people like microsoft for example there is they it's called the conficker cabal are the <laughs> is Mike, microsoft and a bunch of registrars that are all working together and a bunch of av firms to try to control this problem so the the idea is you cut off command and control so that you shut down the domains that the that the worm is trying to go to and prevent it from updating itself from prevent it from you know mutating or 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 getting more instructions or even new sets of domains so because this is the way it's always been done the designers of this new worm down and up conficker kidu um they said okay we're going to use a sophisticated algorithm which is going to be much more difficult for anyone to reverse engineer and figure out, which will determine in it, which will essentially set up a large list of domains where, but without revealing what they are. Um, so the original version of this 
would it basically it was able to deal with 250 different domains. So it was necessary to reverse engineer the algorithm, figure out in advance what domains this worm would be going to in the coming days, and then beat it to the punch by by going to the registrars and getting them to preemptively um, uh, uh, issue, um, you know, basically take those those domains out of service. So the C version, which is out just recently, uses a new algorithm to increase this number from 250 domains to 50,000. So we're now looking at the worm able to, in the future, um, generate 50,000 domains. And, and it, it, it isn't only going but, to one a day. It's going to many. they have to register them, too, though. I mean, it's not like they can just spawn domains, can they? Well, this thing, um, as I understand it, what it was checking was it was checking at 250 domains a day before. Now it'll be, it'll be checking 50,000. So the idea, oh, I see. And, and, so it's hard to figure out which domain they're going to use. Well, and you've got to cover all of them on an ongoing basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is a problem. Um, the um, based on uh, an analysis of traffic, um, the, uh, that is, people looking at at incoming requests to the known domains. Um, the stats are. That 3 million IP addresses, right now, 3 million IP addresses are contacting those domains each day. And that number has been stable over the past two weeks. So right now, there are still, you know, historically, 11.4 million PCs infected with this. Right now, 3 million PCs are are actively Man. contacting these these bogus domains. I mean, these are wacky domain names that you know no regular user is going to be contacting. Um, so these okay, are they're now, basically botnets. Yes, this is a botnet. They're creating yes. a botnet at that domain. Wow. Yes. Um, well, it, it's a botnet that is it is updating itself and mutating by using these by essentially downloading updates to itself at these domains. And so it's really that they've they've escalated this cat and mouse game to the point that it is necessary in order to block it on a given day. You need to prevent accesses to 50,000 domain names. You miss one and these things are able to contact that one that you didn't block. Can they tell from looking at the code what the domain names will be? I mean, is it algorithmic? It must be. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I can't say Must definitively. Be, yeah. I haven't looked at it, wow, but you know, I mean, it's certainly, that's what it's doing in order to do it. I just don't know what it's basing it on. And it, it seems to me somebody who gets the code and l- dissects it should be able to figure out the next set. The problem is it's just a problem of numbers. Right. They realize that each day having the worm check a different 250 domains is that's blockable. Right. Each day, having the worm check 50,000 domains, you know, that becomes a real difficult problem to go and, and, and register, preemptively register 50,000 domains wow. and have that be a moving target over time. So, I mean, you can really see how, how this thing has escalated. Now, interestingly, what happened with the B variant 
which of course came between A and C, the B variant added a trick. And as I said at the top of the show, it's the thing that caused Microsoft to say, whoops, because the B variant spreads through open network shares and uh, and also weakly protected systems by trying 240 common passwords. It it basically is able to use peer-to-peer technology within a LAN in order to use network sharing in order to spread. And it's also able to propagate through USB memory sticks in, by infecting the autorun.inf file of a USB memory well, stick. Well, that's convenient. We're talking about autorun today? Well, exactly. Yeah. So so the, the, the problem is that if you had this thing on your system... It would it would put and, and you inserted a memory stick. It can copy itself to the memory stick, alter the auto run INF or create one if there isn't one. Then you go to a different Windows machine and stick this in. Well, if the owner or corporate IT, for example, had configured Windows Auto Run so that so that USB sticks that is removable drives would not auto run it turns out that feature of windows was broken uh-huh. until february microsoft knew about it but they did not push out the patch for it you had to go get it manually which you know few people did they only pat they only pushed it out for vista and server 2008 so um that what, what we're going to talk about here in a second is the nature of their fix and why believe it or not microsoft still hasn't got it correctly um, figured out on, you know, their own documentation misses a critical feature, which can cause this thing to even now still auto execute um, uh, network and, and USB. Okie dokie. Um, I did want to share a little, before we get into the main content here, a, a fun little note. This is actually not a success story, uh, but rather a listener of ours who wanted to share with our listeners how he's using Spinrite uh, added to his, what he called his, his tools of hard drive paranoia. <laughs> he said, I've been listening to security now for a little over a year and own a copy of Spinrite. I have used it to recover some of my friend's computers, but have not had a critical issue of my own. I now have a single internal drive, a front-loading removable SATA bay, and my Drobo. I run Spinrite on my internal and backup drives quarterly, give or take. I do a full backup manually every weekend, which I store off-site and run Carbonite on my system drive. And every disk in my Drobo has been tested by Spinrite prior to being installed, as well as the spare disk I keep around for replacement if any of them should fail. This person listens to a lot of the Twit Network, I think. He does. <laughs> It is easy enough to set Spinrite running before I go to sleep and, every time so far, wake up to no problems detected. I just thought I'd toss out my total backup strategy. I thought it might be nice for other listeners of Security Now to hear how Spinrite can be used in connection with other programs to protect them from data loss. And you'll notice that his friends are having problems because they're not doing anything in terms of preventative maintenance. Yep. But he's using Spinrite in a preventative maintenance mode every quarter to, to let Spinrite have the drive overnight 
and just dust it off and and keep it running correctly. So so th- that does make sense to do that. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we keep hearing. I mean, the 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 reports we get of like critical distress are are because Spinrite wasn't run until the system would no longer just it wouldn't right. even come up anymore. Right. And then Spinrite was able to fix it. Had Spinrite been run, it would preemptively prevent this kind of problem because it's able to see sectors and 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 detect sectors which are becoming problematical before they become completely uncorrectable, un unreadable and it's able to work with the drive to say, okay, here's the data you want. Mm-hmm. Give me a new sector to put this in, and we're going to take that existing sector out of service. So, I mean, it, it really, it truly is a preventative maintenance tool. That's very cool. That really was your intent, more than a data recovery tool, as a maintenance tool, tool, or maybe not. I don't. I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Uh, I always actually, thought of it as a maintenance tool. Um, well, it's it is, except. I don't expect people to buy it that way. Right. I mean, it's, right, you know, right, right. It, it's no one's going to buy it typically until they need it. Until they until need, they need it. it. Unfortunately, yeah. it can be too late. Right. And so everybody who then discovers it as a consequence of, of having them, you know, save them in a time of need, then they have it. And so they use it quarterly and they never have problems again. So, you know, but, you know, it's much more difficult to say, oh, buy this because, you know, it'll prevent problems. I mean, it really will. And it does. But, it that's a tough sell, which I recognize. <laughs> hey, we just uh, got a big box in the mail. Uh, the new Mac Pro is here. This is what we're going to use for our new streaming setup. $5,000 worth of Nehalem processors. Ooh. But look at the corner. Look at the corner on uh, on this box. It came a little crumpled, so I'm <laughs> a little nervous. We're going to do right after those of you watching live, we're going to do right after the... Uh, uh, Security now ends at about one o'clock Pacific uh, daylight time. We will do, uh, which is four p.m. Eastern. We will do an unboxing, and I'll set this thing up, and we'll see if it boots. <laughs> always an always an adventure. You never know what's going to happen. Before we get to the meat of the matter, our auto run topic. Uh, let me mention our friends at uh, Citrix, the makers of Go to Meeting, and our lovely sponsors. Citrix makes a product that is just so handy. If you have to travel for business, if you're Going to meetings, whether it's across town or across the country, you know, it's expensive, it's time consuming. Frankly, it can be annoying even to the person you're meeting with. They don't want to they don't want to waste their time any more than you want to waste your time. That's why conference calls became so popular. But they lack an element that's critical, which is that, you know, that um, uh, visual element. You can't see the PowerPoint or the drawings or the website that you're working on and that's where go to meeting is just so great it takes a boring old conference call and makes it as good in fact better than a face-to-face meeting i want you to try it for free right now if you go to go to meeting.com slash security now you could try it for 30 days absolutely free go to meeting.com slash security now uh and it, you know here here's kind of how it'll work just to give you a paint I mean, you best you really should try it but just to paint a picture of what goes on so you'll install it. In fact, if you started now, you'd, you'd have it installed in a minute or two. It's very, very quick. Um, now, it's if you're using Windows, it goes right to Outlook. If you're using a Mac, you can do it in your email program. You could send an invitation with a couple of clicks of the mouse to a meeting. Say, hey, let's meet at gotomeeting.com at 2 in the afternoon on Thursday. And it sends along a meeting ID. All you need to know, is there's a link in there as well that you can click. We know about clicking links, so you also sends the ID, so you don't have to do that. You can do it by hand. Now, your client or your colleague or whoever you're meeting with 
at that time goes to go to meeting.com and enters the meeting ID. Now it's that easy. So you could even do it while you're on a conference call. You could say, well, let me just set this up. Go to go to meeting.com. Here's the meeting ID. Now they're seeing your computer screen on their desktop. So they, the whole thing is right there. So you, your PowerPoint, your drawings, your slides, you can show them stuff, but you can also say, Hey, what do you think of this? Can you add a paragraph? And they can work together with you. They can even take full control of your computer. So it's great for training. If you want to show them how to use a program, I can go on and on and on, but I just want you to try it free. Go to go to meeting.com slash security. Now try it free for the next 30 days, unlimited meetings, show your boss, show your clients, show your colleagues. Everybody gets to see this thing. I think they're going to love it. And I know you're going to want to stick around as a customer. That's why I think the free trial is such a good idea. Go to meeting.com slash security. Now we really thank them for their support of the security now show. All right, Steve, we've we've seen that Microsoft did it wrong. Is it still doing auto run wrong? Well, the technology appears to be correct. Their documentation for it is is not complete, and it's not complete in a way that's going to probably get most people. Oh. Um, okay, so uh, a little bit of background here. Um, as I said before, this was a this is all a consequence of a problem that Microsoft realized they could not leave up to the user to go and fix because users would not. They recognized there was a problem with auto run, not preventing running, which was, which was <laughs> the nature of the problem is literally you could do all the configuration correctly and it just was broken. Oh I'm quoting from the CVE, the common vulnerabilities and exposures database. They said, quote, Microsoft windows, does not properly enforce the auto run and no drive type auto run registry values, which allows physically proximate attackers to execute arbitrary code by one, inserting CD-ROM media, two, inserting DVD media, three, connecting a USB device, and four, connecting a FireWire device. Then they have five, allows user-assisted remote attackers to execute arbitrary code by mapping a network drive and allows user-assisted attackers to execute arbitrary code by clicking on and six an icon under my computer slash devices with removable storage and seven an option in an autoplay dialogue related to the auto run INF file. I mean, it's just like really bad and us cert the co- computer emergency readiness team says, Quote, malicious software such as W32.downadup is using auto run to spread. Disabling auto run as specified in the CERT CC vulnerability analysis blog is an effective way of helping to prevent the spread of malicious code. The auto run and no drive type auto run registry values are both ineffective for fully disabling auto run capabilities on Microsoft Windows systems. Setting the auto run registry value to zero will not prevent newly connected devices from automatically running code specified in the autorun.inf file. It will, however, disable media change notification messages, which may prevent Windows from detecting when a CD or DVD is changed. According to Microsoft, setting the no drive type auto run registry value to to hex FF, quote, disables autoplay on all types of drives, unquote. 
even with this value set, Windows may still execute arbitrary code when the user clicks the icon for the device in Windows Explorer. So, this has been a big problem. You know, and and the the, the problem is that that corporations depend upon disabling auto run by group policy where you just blanket all of the machines on the corporate network with a okay, do not run programs from when CDs are inserted, when drives are mapped, when removable drives like a USB thumb drive is stuck into the machine. You know, do not run. And Microsoft has provided that functionality forever in Windows, and it's always been broken. So what 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 happened was when Downadup, this you know the Conficker worm, began to spread this way, Microsoft last month thought. Uh, whoops. Yeah. So they, but the, the mistake they had made was when they found this problem, they knew about the problem a lot long ago, uh, much longer ago, uh, last year, this came up. They thought, well, the problem is if we fix this, then things that, that people are doing now, which is in contravention of their stated desires, meaning that, you know, network shares will still run, for example, well, maybe they're depending upon that, even though they told Windows they don't want that. And so if we go and just fix this in a security update, it'll change that behavior. So we'll all, we're only going to do that automatically for Vista and Server 2008. Anybody on earlier machines, well, we'll hope they upgrade to Vista. <clears throat> So <laughs> that's the solution. So then when, when you down really and up, upgrade that, you know, buy down, a whole yeah. new version of windows. That'll yeah. fix it. <laughs> you just hold on for windows seven. There you go. <laughs> so they said, okay, well that strategy's not working. So we're, we're going to have to push out this, push this out to everybody. So in February they did that. The problem is that it is an, because of the nature of, of the way this was done, it ends up being extremely complicated because then they said, well, the problem is if we push this out and the behavior changes so that it's now correct, that may break things in a way that people don't want. So we're going to add another registry key to the already convoluted registry key that we'll talk about in a second and which is still not documented correctly called honor honor auto run setting which they will default to a one meaning true meaning yes uh, honor the auto run setting which we have now fixed so that it really works but in doing so it may have broken some things so you now have the option of turning that off if you want the pre-fixed behavior which sort of worked but not really (laughs) Okay. <laughs> okay. So, what we so what we have now is we have a a key in Windows in the in Windows registry, which is called. Um, and I'm looking for it here in front of me. And I can't find it. Uh, oh, there it is. No, I've I've said it many times. No drive type auto run. What what this means is it's it's saying do not auto run for specific drive types. And unfortunately, the the types that you don't want to auto run 
for are encoded in bits in the value of this registry key. So, for example, the one bit in the value disables autoplay on drives of unknown type. And it's not clear why, but the 80, the hex 80 bit does the same thing. So, like, the, the 80, the, the, this is a one byte that is an 8-bit long value. So the first bit and the last bit both have the same definition. And they're always both set to 1 if you want to disable drives of unknown type. And I don't know what unknown type drives are, because all the other bits pretty much cover all the types I can think of. For example, there used to be the 2-bit, that is the second from the lowest bit, stood for no root directory. But that's apparently been deprecated. They no longer used that bit for that, but they didn't assign it to anybody else. They just said, well, we're just not going to have that bit defined that way anymore. The, and I'll explain a little bit more about what these, how these bits are, are, are addressed in a second. But the hex 4-bit, which is, the, unfortunately, the, the third bit from the, from the right, the least significant bit, that stands for, if it's set, you disallow removable drives. Now, that's the key bit, for example, for a USB, and it turns out um, that um, uh, uh, FireWire uh, is also, obviously, a removable drive. So USB and FireWire drives are disabled if the hex 4 bit is set. Fixed hard drives are disabled by the hex 8 bit, which is the fourth bit from the bottom. Network drives, that is drives over network shares, and this is this is key to what was broken before um, in in the previous non you know, the pre-patched version. It, it, you could tell it you wanted nothing to execute, and network drives still would. Uh, now they won't, but you need to set this bit for that to be true. Um, CD-ROMs are governed by the 20 hex bit. RAM disks by the 40 hex bit. And as I said um, before, talking about the 1 hex bit, the 80 hex bit also disables drives of unknown type. So... You know, this is really complicated. The good news is, if you just want them all disabled, that is, all bits on, is a hex FF, because that's a value of 255, which is what you get if you add 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, and 128, meaning those are the, the, the decimal values for each of the bits. You add those all together, that's 255 which is one less than 256, which is the total number of possibilities of bits in a byte. So if you set it to FF, Microsoft says that disables everything. Unfortunately, they're wrong. Oh. Um, You'd think they know. It's their operating system. you think they'd get it right yet. Yeah. Okay, so the problem is there are two places in the system, well, at least two, two or more, where this no drive type auto run registry key can be. They only talk about it in the registry under H key local machine. And it's H key local machine, 
slash software slash Microsoft slash Windows slash current version slash policies slash Explorer. Mm. And under there, you will, you, you will find no drive type auto run. And this is what they talk about. They completely forget to talk about the current user branch of the registry. It's mentioned nowhere. And it overrides any setting you have in the local key branch of the registry. So you can, you can follow their instructions, go there, set this, this key under H key local machine and all that other stuff, software, Microsoft, Windows, current version, policies, Explorer, to FF and think, okay, I got it. And you don't. Because if this key also exists under the current user and the same subtree under the current user key, it takes precedence. Now, I thought, okay, is it the case that local machine could override the setting by bit or the bits ORD for disabling where like, so like local machine setting would be a policy that, that takes precedence over current user. Anyway, I did a whole bunch of experimenting and I've confirmed that that's not the case. The bits are not anded or ORD or anything. If the, if the key exists under the, under the current user tree, it completely replaces anything you have specified under the local machine, which is you know the more global applied key. Now, the reason people may have this thing under their current user is the very popular Tweak UI little applet for Windows. Tweak UI has one of the settings is to make it very simple to disable or enable autoplay drive types. And if you've ever used Tweak UI or or anything else where you've where you've explicitly enabled and disabled, then those changes are always put under the current user, which means you will have a no drive type auto run registry key and nothing that you do following Microsoft's instructions under the H key local machine registry will have any effect at all. Okay. So bottom line is, um, uh, I did create a, a a short little URL, a little snip URL to Microsoft's page, which explains part of this story, the part that you know that they do explain. And so that's snipurl.com slash SN auto run, as in security now auto run. And if you if you put that into your browser right now, Leo, it's snipurl.com slash SN auto run. For people who are listening and just want an easy access to this page, it's it's also support.microsoft.com slash KB slash 967715. And that explains the, the part that Microsoft explains. It completely forgets to talk about the fact that the, any presence of this key under current user overrides the key under HKEY local machine. Now, I assume most users just want to disable everything. It's certainly possible due to this bit-level granularity Microsoft designed into the design of this no-drive type auto-run registry key, it's possible to deliberately enable specific behavior. If, you, for, for example, you wanted 
not to allow fixed drives, remo- removable drives, unknown drives, RAM disks. But, <laughs> but for example, you, do, you for some reason wanted to allow CD-ROMs or you wanted to allow network, you know, network shares auto run, you can you can go in and design your own value for this key to specifically not disable those. I imagine probably most listeners just want to know that they've got everything disabled. So setting this value to FF uh, will do that. And I would recommend, however, setting it in this in in the current user branch of the registry, not the local machine, or set it in both, but definitely current user. Because if anything ever came along and and did put a more pervi- a permissive value under current user, it would completely override what was already there under local machine, and you would not get the, the protection that you're expecting. So... Um, that's the whole story on this mess. So, so the uh, current user overrides everything else. It's like it's you think it'd be the other way around that the higher level one would override the lower level one. But I guess you could have well, that way. You have per user settings. I guess you have per user settings exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so if, if if it's not specified under current user, then, then the local machine, right. then then the global settings specify. Now, what's interesting is the defaults that Microsoft has for this. Um, XP, Vista, and Server 2008 have a default setting of 91 in hex. Hex 91. 91. So, yeah, so that's XP, Vista, and Server 2008 have a 91 setting. What that means is, when you, if you dissect these bits, then unknown drives and network drives are disabled. Except they weren't until you patched it. Because you know, it just net, ignored that setting. Exactly, it ignored yeah. that setting, and it's and and the default explicitly allows removable drives, fixed drives, CD, DVD, ROM, and RAM disks. Now that's you know that's the normal behavior when you get a brand new XP out of the box. You stick in a CD and it launches the CD. You stick in a thumb drive and it launches anything that you have in your thumb drive. Unfortunately, as we now know. Um, worms are taking advantage of this, copying them, them themselves. I mean, it's very much like the old days of, of floppy disks and the so-called sneaker net, where viruses would infect a floppy and just wait around for you to stick that floppy in a different machine and jump from the floppy into the machine. That's how viruses pro- proliferated prior to the Internet existing. What's interesting is that Windows 2000 and Server 2003 have a hex 95 as their default and that disables unknown drives network and removable drive which, which is something you would really want which is really what you want so essentially windows 2000 server 2003 did by default disable unknown drives network drives and removable but microsoft deliberately made this more permissive under XP, Vista, and Server 2008, they, by default, allowed removable drives to auto-run rather than not. 2000 and Server 2003 would not run removable drives. So this problem would not have really existed had Microsoft kept that security higher. But they decided, well, for whatever reason, we want removable drives to have auto-run enabled by default 
So they changed the 95 to a 91, which changes the 4-bit in the hex value, which is governs the uh, enabling or disabling of removable drive auto run. Hmm. So that's the whole story. We've all got, if we've been patching our machines, we've got the technology working. It's now necessary to make sure that you've got FF bytes. Under, that sets every bit, and that means they're all disabled, every possibility. Every bit set, everything yeah. disabled, right, yes. Right. But you want to make sure you do it in current user, which Microsoft, Microsoft unfortunately doesn't even talk about, because otherwise it's ignored. It's a, right. If you change it in local machine while you have a more permissive entry under current user, the current user one takes over. If somebody wanted to be industrious, you could just write a little registry, you know, just a little reg file that would set this, that would create the key if it doesn't exist and set it to FF. That'd yes, be- actually, it's trivial to do that, yeah. to, to do a little registry file. Um, and because it's it's easy, it will, it, such a registry file would would instantiate the keys that they didn't exist right. or and would overwrite them right. even if they did. Right. And so you'd want to set them both to just FF. Simple enough. Yep. Very good, Steve. Uh, again, uh, you can find that discussion at snipurl.com slash, what was it? SN Auto Run. SN Auto Run, which is a uh, knowledge base article 967715. But, you know, the best thing to do is go to grc.com. They've got show notes there. We also will have them on our wiki, uh, wiki.twit.tv. Uh, Steve's got a transcript of every show, all 187 of them at grc.com. He's also got 16 kilobit versions there. And while you're there, pick up a copy of Spin, right? If you don't already have it, be proactive. Don't wait till you need it. Get it now. And uh, also lots of free, other free stuff uh, like Shields Up and all his free utilities and Wismo, which I always love. And more good stuff coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah. Yep. Can't wait to see crypto. I'm working like. hard on, on the DNS benchmark that good. I think is really, really going to be popular. GRC, short for Gibson Research Corporation, GRC.com. And I will remind our listeners that next week is a, a Q&A listener feedback episode. So by all means, I really love receiving feedback and, and knowing what you guys are thinking and what, what questions you have. That's grc.com slash feedback. There you go. Thank you, Steve. Have a wonderful, secure week, and we'll see you next uh, Thursday. Thanks, Leo. Talk to you then. For Security Now. Security Now.